You're listening to Inside Intercom. Intercom, making internet business personal at scale. Learn more at intercom.com. I'm Adam Risman, Content Marketing Manager at Intercom. Welcome to the Inside Intercom podcast, a show all about learning how to build better products and businesses through conversations with leaders in the world of design, product management, startups, marketing, and more. In this episode, our Chief Strategy Officer, Des Trainer, sits down with Michael Pryor. Michael is CEO of Trello, one of our favorite visual collaboration tools, which is born out of Fog Creek Software. That's a company Michael co-founded with engineer and writer Joel Spolsky that's created name brand developer tools like Fogbuzz, Stack Overflow, and HyperDev. In his chat with Des, Michael explains why products such as Trello can't pigeonhole themselves as just project management tools. If you're trying to go really broad and horizontal, you have to adapt to the way that people work and let them use your tool to map the way that they're thinking about the problem. How to prioritize features for a product with such a wide array of technical and non-technical use cases. When you introduce new concepts in software, if it's a abstract concept, you're taking on a lot of cost because it means you're going to have to teach that person what that concept is. And how to build a pricing structure that scales. You aren't going to invent a funky pricing scheme based on the number of boards or lists or cards. You know, it was just you wanted to align your 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 pricing with the value that you gave people. And you know, at bigger companies, they paid more. And smaller companies, they pay less. It's a high-level dive in how Michael has built Trello into a product in more than 16 million users. Let's hand things over to Des in the studio. Michael, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Could you maybe talk us through your career trajectory? It's really interesting. Like Fog Creek, well-known. Stack Overflow, well-known. Trello, well-known. It's like hit after hit with you. What, how did the career evolve? Uh, hit after hit, you're you're ignoring all of the mistakes that we made over the that, years. That's what publicity does. <laughs> so back in uh, 2000, actually, um, my co-founder Joel Spolsky and I, we were in New York City working at a startup, an internet startup called Juno. It was a free email service competing with AOL at the time, and we were in New York at that time. If you were a programmer in New York, there were only two places you could really work: a bank or an advertising agency. There weren't really any software shops in the city, pure software place. So we were like, hey, let's start one. Um, And we always sort of had this vision of just making different products. There was no one product in mind when we created the company. It was supposed to just be a place for developers to work at. um, And we had all these opinions about that. Joel blogged about those things on his website, Joel on Software, for many years. And over the years, we tried a lot of different projects. You mentioned the ones that were successful and certainly Stack Overflow and Trello even were, were later after we learned a lot of mistakes along the way and, and managed to avoid them the second time. But um, it's definitely been a long process. I, I mean, the other products I guess I could have mentioned like were Fogbugs, uh, Copilot, CityDesk. In terms of like orders of magnitude, is there like a good distance between Trello and Stack Overflow and the rest? No, I mean, Fogbugs is a pretty decent uh, sized product. It's still, we're still selling it. We're still working on it. Um, I, I think, you know, if you go back in time, you roll back the clock. At that time, we had created Fogbugs before Jira even existed. Right. Um, and, you know, for a long time, those products were pretty much neck and neck. And, you know, b- depending on different things, um, 
that Atlassian did over the years with their marketing and pricing and things, they they really took off. Um, but we built a really sustainable business on top of Fogbugs. The the other products, like City Desk, was just the wrong product at the right time. At that time, if you go back in 2000, it was really hard to do blogging. Like it didn't really even exist. I guess you could get some movable type scripts or type pad scripts and install them on your web server. But you had to have shell access and people didn't know what that was. So we had built a desktop app that was supposed to be a CMS. And that was how we were solving that problem. And it turns out that SAS was a much better way to solve that problem. <laughs> so movable type and type pad just hosted the the software themselves and didn't make people install it. And that became um Super useful. So Copilot is a great, another great example. So at that time, we had we'd built Copilot to help ourselves install fog bugs on our customers' computers because we got to a point in time. This is maybe two thousand six, two thousand seven, where the installation process was really complicated, and we would be saying to ourselves, "I wish I could just see what's on their computer." And screen sharing at that time didn't really exist in a very easy format. So we built something that did that, which was Copilot. It was a screen sharing tool. And, um, you know, it, it never took off as, uh, as a big product because we marketed it to the wrong audience. We marketed it to customer support reps instead of the general public. And you look at things like Log Me In and Go To My PC, which went on to be billion-dollar companies. So it was like the right product, the right time, the wrong marketing strategy. All those different things that we did over the years helped us sort of refine, you know, why we... Like you, you think about Stack Overflow, when we built Stack Overflow, the website, the Q&A website, we were like, hey, this is really cool. People love it. Why don't we take this software and then sell it to other people? Because we were that's what we had been doing for 10 years. And it wasn't until we had talked to some VCs that they convinced us that that was not a great idea. It would be like Facebook being like, oh, this worked at one school. Let's sell the Facebook software to, you know, right. to other people to use. And really what was valuable at Stack Overflow was the network of people, not the software itself. And right. lo and behold, there were 50 clones, you know, yeah. a, a couple of weeks later. So It's interesting you cite, you know, with Atlassian it was marketing, with maybe the initial pass of Copilot, it was maybe the wrong market. Do you feel like, are these the sort of lessons that like fed into the success of something like Trello? Absolutely. I mean, from the very beginning when we built Trello, we had decided to build a very horizontal tool that the market size for it was going to be huge. Now, that's a really risky proposition, right? Like it's yeah. hard to um, build a horizontal tool. But um, that was the the goal of of what we were trying to do with Trello, which was way different than what we were trying to do with Fogbugs. Um, when you think about, like, you know, one of the things I noticed you posted recently on, on I think, Hacker News was um, your explanation of what Trello is. You know, we had Jason Fried on recently, and he was making a similar point about Basecamp. You're hesitant, it seems, to be boxed into being a project management tool. Could you explain that a little? The, the idea is that, like, a lot of tools, a lot of the software that people are making for task management, they're coming at it from this idea that, you know, hey, if we just build some vocabulary around the way that people work and then build a data structure there and then a web app on top of it, we can allow people to give us the data. We'll put it into our database and then we'll be able to tell them things. So for example, if you think about like the way Asana is built or the way Jira is built or even Fogbugs or they, they, they Salesforce, for example, they have this grammar, you know, there's like, mm -hmm. there's like leads and customers and when you first use the tool, you have to figure that out. Now, in the case of Asana, for example, 
the the vocabulary is 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 more generic, right? So it's more like tasks and um, milestones and dependencies, and um, that's one way to attack a problem. And I think it's very it works very well for people that are thinking about things in a very structured sort of way. Um, the difference with Trello was that we thought of it more like the way that you use Excel. So if you open up a spreadsheet in Excel, it's just blank, right? And yeah. as you start to enter your data, you actually have to tell Excel what the data is. You're like, this is a percentage. This is a currency. And you even add formulas into the cells. You're like, this cell relates to these other two things. And so as you're entering the data, you're also building out the model. Like it, there's no semantic structure in Excel. You sort of supply that. You say, this is going to be a column here. Here's where a chart's going to be. And the chart's going to map these two variables you know, like it's all sort of Lego building blocks. Yeah. And that's the same way we think about Trello. Like the, the vocabulary around Trello is very, the metaphor is built on this, you know, sticky notes on a whiteboard. Yeah. Everyone gets that, right? It's just like you get Trello immediately because it's so visual. You don't have to learn a vocabulary when you get there. But it's also important that the cards in Trello are cards. They're not tasks. Right. Right. Like, and I think that if you look at the Microsoft made a clone of Trello called Planner. Right. Um, and they they call them tasks. And I think that that is a big mistake because that in and of itself isn't the mistake. But the way that they're thinking about it is very much this database driven. I will create a structure and then I will ask people for the information to put in my structure. And that that works for a very specific audience, I think. But if you're trying to go really broad and horizontal, you have to adapt to the way that people work and let them use the, your tool to map the way that they're thinking about the problem. And, you know, it seems that you you definitely baked in this idea from the very start, like even insisting on it being a card and not like a task and it being a board and not like a project kind of like breaks people out of the hard coded project mindset, which is list of things to get done in certain order or whatever. Um, and it actually it probably closest mirrors what I see all around, all around Intercom, which is whiteboards full of either index cards like that are stuck to the board or post-it notes. And I see people literally plan their days by moving these things around. And that's literally what Trello supports. And that's why I think so much of our company specifically is, is like built on Trello. We still, I guess, use it in a way of organizing things to do. What's the unexpected use cases? Like, I know when you're building something horizontal, obviously you have these probably dreams of like, well, maybe someone will use it to like, I don't know, plan a wedding to like plan a home renovation. What, what's like the craziest stuff you've seen? Um, yeah, the wedding, the wedding example is funny because if you go and you look at sort of competitive products, like, you know, there's always blog posts about that, right? Like they're like, you can use Jira to plan your wedding. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's just sort of trying to say like, this is a very horizontal tool, like you can yeah. use it at home and at work. Um, one thing that happened a long time ago that was really surprising to us was the sort of public collaboration where it was during, I think there were protests happening in Brazil and they were using Trello to coordinate the protests. That was a really, it was many years ago. I think it was yeah. a, a World Trade Summit or something. Um, another one recently um, when there was a, a, a bombing in France, they were using Trello publicly to try to find, you know, who was alive and who had died. And they were putting together the information from different news sources to try to create like one central repository. You know, it was kind of just sort of took us back to say, wow, like people are really finding a lot of value in, in getting people from all over to coordinate on this one thing. See, like I think of Trello as as sort of um, just a place to get everyone's head 
right. wrapped around the same thing, right? Like that's why you have that whiteboard in your office. Yep. You basically have everyone there and you're like, this is the status of the project. It's not my view of the status of the project. It's not your view of the status. We all see the same thing. And that's one of the big differences between Trello and some of the other tools that try to do this is that we're not focused on the individual or focused on the team's view of this thing in the same way that if you were out in the woods um, and you were, you know, you you were lost. You'd want to have your map or your GPS, and you'd look down at it, and everyone would look at that to see where they were at and where they needed to go. And that's how we think about the way that people use Trello. It's a really interesting perspective, and like the breadth you get with that by by not being so like vertical specific. Obviously, on one side, it can, you, you can see how it leads to insane growth that you wouldn't get quite simply if you were called Trello, the the, the ticket tracking and project management tool for startups or whatever. But um, on the flip side, how do you prioritize like features? Is it do you build stuff that is only useful to everyone, or like how do you make sure that like you don't get you know too like drawn to the siren call of of a big enterprise sales team that who wants a certain feature and then they'll sign up for some triple platinum plan? How do you sort of filter out what people are asking for? Well, that's a great question. Uh, very early on, when we first built it, we knew that a lot of the features that people were going to ask for were going to were going to be developer type features because that was our audience, right? That's Stack Overflow, that was Joel Software. Like the people that knew us were going to say, "Oh, this is cool. Can you add all these Kanban type yeah. things and swim lanes and dependencies yeah. and Gantt charts?" And uh, but when you're building a tool for <laughs> the mass market, like those things make no sense. Like I, we were just weren't building a Kanban tool. We weren't building an agile software development tool. Um, so we knew from the early days we had to, if we had people asking for a feature, we had to drill down and see what their pain was. Like what are they trying to solve with this particular feature request? Um, so example, you might have people asking for, they want to add story points to cards and at the top of the list they want to see the sum of all those story points so they can understand how big the backlog is or how big the sprint is. That same request might come from a salesperson to say, well, yeah, I was using Trello to keep track of my deal flow and I had the total deal size on each card and you know, I want the columns to sort of show, show me the summary of how big my pipeline is. Right? It, the, the feature is really just if you put a number on a card, you add them up at the top or right. you, maybe you average them or you, you know. Yeah. Do something you, with numbers. Right. Basically. So you just sort of have to understand what's the horizontal use case and, you know, take a step back and, and listen to that first and try to figure out if you can solve it that way before you put in a very specific feature. I think going back to my earlier point about vocabulary, I think when you introduce new concepts in software, if it's a abstract concept, you're taking on a lot of cost because it means you're going to have to teach that person what that concept is. And that's always, it's not that you can't do that, but when you do it, you have to understand the cost involved. So if you're going to solve a feature by just, you know, making a I'll use an example from Trello. So like we made a thing called collections where you right. can like put boards into a collection. That's like an abstract concept, right? It isn't a thing. And currently the feature is only half implemented because it doesn't, you can't see the collection really. It doesn't like provide value in a way that's very visual and very Trello-like. It does allow you to organize your boards, but now people have to learn what are collections, right? And so we have to teach them that. 
So you have this sort of horizontal product and you market it in a horizontal way and that when you land at, say, Trello.com, what you see are like, you know, you see, frankly, use cases that I wouldn't expect you uh, to market, which is like, you know, home renovation or DIY. But then you also have the inspiration board that shows like all of the crazy ways that Trello can be used. And I guess what I'm curious about is like when a customer signs up for Trello and lands in it the first time, much like they do with Excel, say, for example, they're looking at like a blank sheet and blank lists and there's no cards anywhere. How, how, how do you help them make progress? That's a great question. Um, and it's something that we're working on right now. I think like you're looking at our website. That was sort of uh, uh, something that worked for us for a couple of years, but we're, it's going to evolve very shortly. Um, we're working on it right now, actually testing a bunch of things. But the trick there is who is this person that showed up, right? If I show you an example of using Trello to plan your wedding, but you got married 20 years ago, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it doesn't, yeah, yeah. it just misses the mark, right? So it's hard to sort of, um, pick a specific example and target people with that. But we are working on sort of new user funnels to ask people like what kinds of boards they might be interested in and then showing those types of boards as they sign up. But also I I realized that, um, you know, one thing that people always say is, why don't you have templates? Like, why Mm -hmm. don't you just make a template thing? And then, but, but part of the problem with that is that there's not a lot of useful information that you would get from a template, right? It might be the names of the lists, but the, all the cards and the card data, you'd have to start over. Yeah, um, we would just be giving them columns, I presume, basically, right? Right, right. Yeah. right. So what, but what is interesting is that there's a story around a board. So somebody will show a board, and like you see these blog posts, they'll be like, I use Trello to do as a CRM, for example. And they'll tell a story. They'll be like, this is how I set it up. Here's how it works. Um, and we started realizing that that was really important. And We've also done a bunch of events, in-person events, where we have people come and speak and they tell about how they use Trello to solve problems at, at their company and people love it. People just love it. They love to listen to that content and hear how other people are using Trello to solve those problems. It's like really relevant. People are very interested in this, you know, just productivity and solving business problems. And um, long term, I think what we'll do is try to figure out a way inside the product to allow you to take a board and tell that story yourself. And so instead of that inspiration page being a list of boards that we've you know picked, um, it would be more crowdsourced and community driven and people could do that. And along those lines, like when you talked about uh, the different sort of uh, like, you know, job specific things people want to do, could you offer like, you know, different features for those types of users? Yeah, I think like, you know, that's always been a challenge too. If you have a very horizontal product, how do you let people do things that are more vertical in nature, right? Like, so they are going to plan a wedding or they're going to create a a workflow board that does, you know, agile software development is a common Mm -hmm. use case or applicant tracking for an HR person or an editorial calendar for your marketing team. And as you get into those boards, we we decided to add in a layer called power ups so we have advanced functionality in trello but it's it's sort of separate and you can turn it on per board so it doesn't pollute the like when you first come to trello you don't have to learn about all this other stuff but you can learn what boards cards and lists are and then as you become more advanced you graduate and you can turn on these power ups one is a calendar power up for example if you put due dates in your cards you can see them in a calendar view um, we have an intercom power up, which ties us into intercom. There, there's there's both integrations in the power ups, and there's also advanced functionality. And just recently, we made all of those power ups free to people wow. to use. They used to be you would have to pay us to use them. Now it, they're all free. You can have, turn on one on any board. 
um, which is great because if you're a developer, you can actually build a power up and now you can get 16 million people to use it because that's, you know, those are all the Trello users. So you could get a um, huge audience of people to use it. And then if you want to turn on more power ups, you can upgrade to our paid product. That's pretty cool. Um, you mentioned like 16 million there. Like it's still quite a staggering number. Um, but you've also said before, like you really see it as like being like a 100 million user product even. Do you have a plan for getting to 100 million? Is it like, is it, you know, what, what we're doing is working, we just need to be patient? Or do you have like deliberate marketing strategies that you think are going to move these numbers? I think it's it's both. If you think of, if you look at our marketing up until recently, it was mostly 100% organic. Um, it wasn't until about a year ago that we started really focusing on our marketing team and hiring a marketing team. Uh, a few months ago, we hired a CMO. And so I think we got to a point where the product is actually really well received in in the market um, there's a great fit people understand what it does we're convinced that this is a, a winner so the trick now is how do you just get more people to find out about it right because right. if only we could wait until people tell people tell people tell people but we can also accelerate that a bit by helping figure out ways to um, just get more people to know about it and it's like an interesting challenge i was just playing out so i work a lot on marketing at intercom and what I'm curious about is like, you know, your typical user is, I, f- I presume, like anyone. And then your uh, your typical use case is kind of anything. How do you approach marketing? Do you like, do you try and break it up and find specific, right, let's do developer marketing, let's do Kanban marketing, or do you go by use case or are you just doing general brand marketing? What's, what's the sort of approach? One of the things we did recently was a survey of what people were using Trello for because I get that question a lot, like, what do people use it for? And I would say, well, I don't know because we don't look at people's data, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, of so I had to. We we did a survey, and it was really interesting. What came back was there's a pie chart for all the different departments at a company, and I would have thought that product and engineering would have been a huge piece of that pie chart. Like we would be overrepresented on the engineering side, um, but it turns out across the whole company. It's almost even for every department, like marketing, sales, engineering, product, HR, ops, IT. Like they all have a slice of the pie in pretty much even amounts, which was sort of mind blowing to me. I mean, it was great, but it also means that, you know, when you're thinking about buyer personas and you're trying to target people. You know, it's interesting. That's exactly what I'd say about whiteboards too, right? Like- yeah. Or, or like if you're in charge of marketing Excel. So it, it's a little tricky. It, it is true that it makes it harder because the audience is so so broad. I mean, there's there are specific places where we can target that have a lot of really good downstream effects for us. So, for example, if we get HR people to use Trello for onboarding new employees, then that means that at any given company, every single new employee gets a free lesson in Trello, right. for example, right? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I'm just trying to think, like, in some sense, like, Excel has, you know, every company has Excel at this point, but like, you know, I'd say that almost in spite of seeing the advertisements for them at this point, but I'm sure at some point they have to do a lot more specific, like demand generation along the way. Well, I think that, you know, what you see, we're trying to create a new market segment. Like we're trying to say that Trello is a new tool to basically bring all these different products. Like if you think about Trello as um, sort of this hub of where you go to see what's going on in all these different 
things, the different tool sets that you use. You know, your, your sales team has their own tool set. They got Salesforce. Your marketing team has theirs. The managers have want to use something that's very easy to communicate across the company. And that Trello can provide that center for all those different products. When uh, you mentioned, like, when you looked at use cases or when you surveyed for use cases, you saw equal distribution across most functions in a company. Did you split company use cases from, say, individual end user consumer use cases? Yeah, we did also look at that. And basically the split was um, about 50-50 more towards business. Right. Um, So it was like 60-40 a a little bit. But some of that was overlap too. I I forget, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a lot of that was like, do you use it for business, do you use it for personal, or do you use it for both? Um, And that was, uh, it was probably what I thought, which was there aren't, it's not a huge percentage of people that use it just for personal. Right. A lot of people use it for just business and even more use it for both work and home. 100 million users kind of leads me to my next question, which is like, uh, how do you all make money on that? Like that's going to be a f- phenomenal challenge to get there. But when you get there, um, is business class the sort of the thinking for monetization? So when we first launched it, Joel said on TechCrunch, he was we were at TechCrunch Disrupt. Right. He went on stage and he said, you know, the the business plan here is to get 100 million people. Um, it'll be free, but we'll find one percent of those those yeah. people that are using the product that get a ton of value. We'll charge those people 100 dollars a year. You know, bingo, multiply the numbers, you get a hundred million dollar business. Um, I think actually now that's probably actually small. Yeah. Um, at the time, it was just to give some context for the market that we were going after so people could understand it. Um, I think 1% is probably too low. I think $100 a year is maybe a little bit too low. I think $100 million is a little bit too low. So it does sort of describe how large the market for the kind of tool that we're building is. And I think if you look at, there's a lot of people that have started trying to copy the look of Trello and, you know, it, it, the, one of the best things that's happening to us is we're getting all this free publicity because every time that happens, Trello's always in the headline. Yeah. They always be like, hey, there's this, like, this company did a, a Trello-like feature. Or, you know, when Microsoft released Planner, it was always like, here's Microsoft's Trello clone or answer to Trello. Or, you know, so I, I start to see it as like, great, if we're the standard that people are comparing it to, that's exactly the place we need to be if we're going to get to be that large. You um, like us. You kicked off your pricing at a, at a, I think it was like a flat fee of maybe two hundred dollars a year. I remember there was a, definitely a period where we uh, were, yeah, where we were like was. effectively uh, paying. I think two hundred bucks a year for something that was like near on mission critical for certainly multiple teams in intercom. And I was yeah. like, hmm, scratching my head, going, "This is so <laughs> dumb." That was yeah. the the biggest mistake that we ever did. But here's the thing: didn't didn't you guys do that too? Yep, didn't I'm okay. not criticizing. So, no, I, mean, I, I think give you Buffer, our rationale. Like uh, Buffer like, did it too. So yeah, like for for us like the the genuine advantage like one to put it very simply like you know when you don't when you haven't started charging yet you really like you can read all the blog posts and watch all the conference talks but you don't really know what to do and uh, and our advice actually came from Jason Freed and he was just like well you know rule one start charging something for the damn product so uh, so I think we, we were like $50 flat fee for a year uh, it was $50 per month so it was actually I guess you know, um, three times more expensive than Trello in that regard. But uh, it was like 50 bucks a month, no matter who you were. You could be like adidas.com or you could be two people in a shed having just started your first company. We were charging you 50 bucks. What that did do genuinely was cut out a lot of the we were never going to pay anyway type customers. But it just gave us a bit of clarity so we could like check the monetization box and move on to other interesting stuff. 
Yep. What did you see or what did you feel from doing the 200 books thing? Well, we were we were solely focused on the product at that time, and we were trying to build out the product. We were making taking the profits from Fog Books. Trello was still inside Fog Creek, so right. we were investing in ourselves basically. And think of it as we did the seed round, yeah. um, and so we weren't too worried about the monetization. We knew that that was going to come, but we we started to see people were afraid to use Trello because they were like, "There's no way to pay for it. Right. They're just going to shut down." And we were like, oh, we're not charging people and that's friction? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess we need to, you know, like put down a dirt road for people to see how, the, how this is going to happen and we can go pave it and put down the superhighway later. But just give them, uh, you know, a quick way to see how we're going to do this. And we started arguing about the pricing, you know, it's a collaboration tool. Can you charge per user? That kind of inhibits the growth. So we went around and around and Joel just finally said, look, it doesn't matter. We just need to pick something. So mm-hmm. we should just do this flat rate thing because people will just pay for it. And he was right. People just paid for it. Yeah. And the thing was that um, in the it was a good solution for that moment in time. Mm-hmm. We left it for way too long right. before coming back to it. Um, and I think that was the problem. And the thing that we settled on was per user pricing eventually because that was just understood by a lot of people. We weren't going to invent a funky pricing scheme based on the number of boards or lists or cards. Yeah. You know, it was just you wanted to align your 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 pricing with the value that you gave people. And, you know, at bigger companies, they paid more. And at smaller companies, they paid less. So, And I think that's one axis that we have. And we have different plans. If you're just a solo user, you can use Trello Gold, which is you know, for, for super fans of Trello, but for business type use is business class for large organizations. We have enterprise, um, version of Trello that has, you know, enterprise type features. And then in the future, when I was talking about powers before, I could see a world in which, you know, you're, you're basically solving a very specific use case with a board by turning on a couple of power-ups and, Essentially, you know, turning Trello into a CRM, you know, for a lightweight CRM or maybe it's a lightweight applicant tracking system. And there's a power up that does that and maybe you pay extra for that. So there's I think there's a lot of different axes that we can do. And we're, we're experimenting with that and learning. Would you consider some sort of revenue share with, with power up developers or is that on the in your plans? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm open to that. There's already people building tools on top of Trello and charging for those tools. We don't collect the money, but they, mm-hmm. you know, people pay through their own. They go to the other website and sign up for that. Uh, but so I already, I already see a market for that kind of thing. And it would be nice to uh, provide that place for to, so that it would be much easier for people to collect the money. If you could roll back and have this pricing plan from the start, would you do it? I I don't know that I would have done the flat rate thing. I would have skipped that, you know. And and we've we've raised our price a couple of times and, and sort of learned things. We also did a thing that Slack did called we call it smart billing. I think they call it fair billing, where it's like if you're not using the product, we stopped charging you for the person, like automatically. Yeah. Certainly, you can always go in and deactivate people, but you know, we did that a year ago, and it's been a burden. Um, right. It just makes our recurring revenue look really weird, yeah. um, and and people get all these, you know, four cent charges or four cent credit. Like it, it just creates a lot of confusion, and people are rather just most. It turns out that actually most people don't really care too much about this i've always thought it's like clever like to have like you know smart billing or fair billing or whatever it's it's one way it's a marketing solution to like a participation tax problem right like it's like right and that uh, was the idea right yeah. like if you if you say this to people then they'll just add everyone in their company yeah. um and not think about it but it turns out that 
I don't see that actually happening in the numbers that much. Yeah. Like I don't, the the benefits, the perceived benefits, the hypothetical benefits that we thought would have happened, we're seeing a lot more costs associated with it instead of the benefits. And uh, yeah, because I, I can imagine there's all sorts of kind of frankly messy complexity in your billing logic there, where you're charging people for like partial prorated months yeah. because they yeah. logged in and clicked yes. the link or something. Yeah, and it's it's very confusing to yeah. them, and it's, yeah. it's confusing to us, and. That's another thing that I think if I went back in time, I probably would yeah. do a bit differently. There's probably some interesting opportunities. Like if you wanted to boost your numbers, you could ask everyone to reset their password or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing I'm curious about is just the, the sort of the DNA of Fog Creek itself. So there's been like, you know, obviously Fogbugs is, I presume, the, the lion's share of Fog Creek's revenue. But you also still have Kiln in there, is that right? Yep. And um, we just we just made a new product called HyperDev. Oh, HyperDev as well, yeah, sorry. And then you've obviously spun out too successfully. Do you think the spinning out model works? Do you, like, do you ever see Fogbugs getting out of Fog Creek or is that the one anchor? It, it does work. It can work for companies that VCs are interested in. If you're just like kind of making a bunch of cash and, mm-hmm. you know, that's not as interesting to VCs. They yeah. just really <laughs> want growth, 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 growth. Yeah. Um, but I also think that Joel and I are kind of busy at the moment. Yeah, so like yeah, spinning yeah. off new things, is not really um, on the radar. How do you manage to split your time? Like, uh, is there, have you effectively left the GM behind you in Fog Creek? Or is that like, is it an by night, by day, like Jack Dorsey type thing? Yeah, there's a couple managers there and then we're meeting with them uh, every two weeks and, you know, sp- splitting our time. Most of my time spent on Trello and Joel's mostly focused on Stack and it, it changes depending on the season. It's not the most ideal situation, I think, right. but um, it's it's working currently. And um, Fog Creek, I guess, like if they continue to produce new products, are you just optimistic that for the, for the near future they'll be able to be looked after internally rather than doing yet another Series A and yet another being being you know yet an, another product to be a CEO of or co CEO of or whatever? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that you know this is. This is what we've been doing for 16 years, right? Building products. And some of them fail and some of them succeed. And now we've got a couple that are doing pretty well. Um, So this is like, this is actually a great time, right? Like it's a great problem to have, right? There's there's so many things that are working that um, it's requiring a lot of time to manage. But um, that's that's a good problem to have and it's something I'm I'm happy with. And it's not going to stop us from iterating and building new things because that's just, that's, the whole reason that we started the company, right? That's the whole reason yeah. that we started Fog Creek was to provide a great place for developers to work, to build cool things. Um, and we're just going to keep doing that. Yeah, it's not the worst thing to have to like, you know, guys, we can't afford to build another world-class product just yet. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just wait a year? Yeah, exactly. Give it a bit of time. Okay, cool. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. And we'll be sure to link up Trello and its wonderful intercom power-up in, a, in the show notes. Thanks for being on. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. You've been listening to the Inside Intercom podcast. For more episodes, visit soundcloud.com slash intercom. If you'd like to subscribe, search for Inside Intercom in iTunes or Stitcher. And for even more great content, check out blog.intercom.com.